Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Hey, we're continuing the series today called Thank You. And we're just talking about developing a spirit of gratitude. And a couple of weeks ago, we, we just kind of started talking about how we will never forget our salvation. We'll never forget that Jesus rescued us. We're so grateful. That is the starting point. Last week, we talked about the spirit of praise, and we, we exemplified some of that when we were singing today. We're talking about that it's pouring out of our lives. And today, we're talking about moments, memories, and monuments. Everybody say moments, memories, and monuments. And you know, one of the things that we all have, probably all of us have some kind of relic or, or things that we keep in our lives to remind us of an event that happened, right? They serve as good reminders. In fact, we, we all base kind of our biases on an experience we have, right? Whether it's a good experience or a bad experience, we all have biases, right? It can be something as simple as a cheeseburger, right? It's like, oh man, I had that cheeseburger the very first time. It's the best cheeseburger on the universe. And you've, you've never had, you know, a burger in any other city. You've just had that burger, but you think that that's the best one because that's what you've had. You have this experience. You have this memory. You have this moment that has marked your life. And, and our, the moments and the memories that we have in our life can, can enhance our life. Come on. Or it can really wreck our life. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to have a life that's a mess. I want to be a person that is expressing gratitude. And one of the things that we've learned in this series is that gratitude actually changes the way that our brain is wired. In fact, there's been studies that show that the physical attributes of our brain can actually be changed by just maintaining a posture of gratitude. And uh, so we want our lives to be marked by good experiences. And part of being gra- part of learning to be grateful is learning how to manage come on, our experiences, how we handle those things. Part of, part of establishing and maintaining gratitude in our life is to have markers. Right, that we'd have markers in our life, that I have, I have things in my life, there's things in my house, come on, there's things that I see every day that remind me of how good God is. Right? There's people in my life that serve as monuments, but there's also just objects that I keep around to keep myself focused on the goodness of God to say, man, God's good. I remember when he did that. And uh, so having moments, memories, and monuments helps us nourish a grateful heart. I am from the the big city of Odessa, Texas, right? About 100,000 people. It's an oil town. Most of y'all probably heard of Odessa because of Friday Night Lights. And uh, I grew up in Odessa, uh, spent most of my life there. And uh, when I, I wasn't really raised in church, like we went to church a little bit as a kid. Uh, but when I was 16 years old, my dad said, hey, why don't you move into me and I'll help you get a car? And like any other 16-year-old, I said, absolutely. So I moved into my dad. My dad had had some renewal happen in his life. He had come back to the Lord. He was, he was serving as, the, as they called him in those days. They didn't call him worship leaders. They called him song leaders. So he was the song leader at the church. And so I moved in with him and he said, listen, son, if you're going to live with us, we go to church. And so in this house, we're in church on Sunday mornings for Sunday school. We're in church Sunday mornings for church. So we're in church like four hours. Some of you are like, oh, my goodness, I can't even stand 90 minutes. Then, then we came back and did it again on Sunday nights. Then we came on Wednesday nights for youth group. And I had to go to all of that and get a job. But guess what? 
I ended up getting saved because of it. Because someone was willing to, quote unquote, shove the gospel down my throat. I, got, I gave my heart to Jesus. So when I'm in Odessa now, there's a street called 42nd Street. And that street serves also, well, when I was in high school, served as what's called the drag. Anybody ever cruised the drag when you were younger before cell phones? Or that, we, we didn't cruise the internet. We, we cruised the drag. And so we would cruise up and down 42nd Street. Well, I don't cruise the drag drive down 42nd Street to cruise the drag. I drive down 42nd Street every time I'm in Odessa because I want to see this building right here. We got a picture of that building? This building right here is called Faith Tabernacle Assembly of God Church. And in 1993, I'd been going to that church for about two years, and I'd finally surrendered my life to Jesus. I've been going through the motions. I've been playing the games. But after about two years, God finally got a hold of my heart. And I remember it was in that building that I first experienced the presence of God. The first time I ever got chill bumps from singing a song and God began to stir me and I, I just would respond to those, those invitations that the pastor would get. Man, it all happened in that building. So when I drive by that building, I go, thank God. Thank God for those people. Thank God that that building is there, that I could go, that, that I have all these experiences, that I have all this history tied into this place. I remember July 4th, 1993. I was, I'd been pursuing the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are like, well, what is that? So, well, you need it. Then you'll know what it is real quick. And I was pursuing the baptism of the Holy Spirit for about three months. And it was a Sunday night, July 4th, 1993. There was an altar call. You need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I remember running up to that altar. And I remember seeking God for, it seemed like, about two hours, lifting my hands up, going, God, fill me with your spirit. And finally it happened. God lit my soul on fire. It has not went out for over 25 years. I've been serving Jesus. I've been going out. I remember running around that building with the fire of God. Why am I telling you this? Because I'm telling you that, that it is important for us to have these moments in our life and these monuments in our life that we can drop by. I don't worship. I don't have to be in that church to experience God, but I look at that church and I can have a grateful heart. When I drop by, I say, thank you, God. I'll, I'll drop by with our kids and my kids will be in the car. I'll say, Lord, kids, look, look, look. That's where daddy gave his heart to Jesus. That's where God got a hold of my heart. I remember that summer, that same summer that I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and we went to this youth camp called Roaring Springs Youth Camp. There's the, the Assembly of God Youth Camp there in West Texas, and this is Roaring Springs. So you can see there's no Roaring Spring there. There's a whole lot of desert. Uh, they have a little stream or something there, but they think somebody thinks it's Well, the Roaring Spring was the Holy Spirit. That's what the Roaring Spring was. So all of this campground wasn't there 25 years ago. Uh, a lot of it was, but this little built this Little, this big building right here was about half the size. It was just this building right here. It was called, they called it the tabernacle. In fact, before you, it was service, this guy would go out and he'd go, everybody go to the tabernacle. You know, that sounds like 45 years ago, not 25 years ago. And it probably, even then it was probably dated, I'm sure. So here's the close-up of that building. Now, this first part of the building wasn't there. And a couple of years ago, it was more than about, probably about 10 years ago, we were able to go out there and do some ministry. And I remember walking around this bit, my heart was just so stirred. I was so grateful because in June, June or July, that summer, 1993, I was standing right here, right here. And there was a group of young people. We prayed together for our youth pastor that had a terminal illness at the time. We'd stand around in that circle and pray for him. And it was in that moment that God said, I want you to do this for the rest of your life. I want you to gather people around my presence. It was that moment that God called me into full-time ministry. I remember walking around. I remember just standing right there going, man, this is where it happened. It's important. Listen, beloved, it is so important that we have markers in our life that we can look back and say, man, that's when God got a hold of me. And we don't have to worship there. We don't have to live there. But it's important that we have those markers. Man, I, I remember pulling out these Bibles. 
that year in 1993. This one Bible was one my parents gave to me. They didn't know any better. They gave me a King Jimmy version, King James version. And then this other one was given to me by a girlfriend that we didn't really have a very healthy relationship. I'll just leave it at that. And so we had, I had these two Bibles, and I remember sitting on my bed every night with this worship CD called The Secret Place. Or the worship, it was called Hosanna Integrity, The Secret Place. The guy's name is Kent Henry. And I remember opening up these albums with my headphone, a tape, cassette tape player. Y'all know what that is? It's kind of like a, you know, yeah, some of y'all seen some of those vintage things. And so I would, I would open up those Bibles, and I'd, I'd sit on my bed at night, and I'd have those headphones in, and, and I would just begin to get into the Word of God and write. All these Bibles are written all in them. I just began to write, and I would say, As I come into your presence, past the gates of praise, into your sanctuary. And I just remember like all night, man, I, I had to replace the batteries like four times a week because every night I was just soaking. What was I doing? I was developing my history with God. This pulpit that I preach from every Sunday, you're like, why does he use that thing? It's kind of small. It's not very modern looking. The reason why I used it, used it is because that youth pastor I told you we prayed about, he built this pulpit with his bare hands. And it was about to get thrown in the trash, so I seized it up. I said, man, that's not going to go in the trash because one of these days I'm going to give this to, to a spiritual son or my earthly son, and this pulpit will be passed along because this pulpit to me represents the legacy of Gail Owens, who I'm so grateful for because if it wasn't for that man, I probably wouldn't be serving the Lord today. I have all these markers in my life. Why? So I can have a good story to tell? No. So I will never forget how good God has been to me. And beloved, it is so critical that you have things in your life that you can look back and you say, God was so good to me. I remember, and I know I'm sharing a lot of stories today, but I remember when we started this church in 2012, we were meeting on Saturday nights for a little over a year, and we decided to move in on Sunday mornings to a building. We didn't have any money. It was it was going to cost us way more money than we had coming in every month, but we moved out in faith and bought this little building. And somebody, how many of y'all were with us when we were in this little building? And we used to meet in that building. And man, I remember God would move in that building. So sometimes when I drive around, I like to drive around Grand Prairie sometimes and just dream with God. And so sometimes if I'm over here, I'll just kind of pull in the parking lot and I'll just go, God, thank you. Thank you so much, Lord, that you, you established this church in this building. And we were here for a period of time, and you marked people's hearts. Thank you, Lord, for what you did in my life in that building. Thank you, Lord, that, 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 one of, one of, that my kids had experiences with God in this building. And there's nothing spiritual about these buildings, listen, but there is something spiritual about the moment that happens. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Lord says this, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. And so many times we forget what God has done in our life. You know, the children of Israel, let me give you a little bit of history. The children of Israel, if you know this, they were under bondage under a nation called Egypt. And there was a Pharaoh that was in charge of that. Well, God raised up Moses in Pharaoh's house, raised up Moses to deliver the children of Israel, to bring them out of the land of bondage into the land flowing with milk and honey right? So they had an A story and a B story, right? They had the bondage story and they had the freedom story. However, God leads them out. So God does all these plagues, leads them out of bondage, and then they go into the wilderness, which is supposed to be about a two-week journey. They're supposed to go through the wilderness and then enter the promised land, but because they forgot God, because they weren't doing what God had commanded them to do, they ended up spending, being there for 40 years, and a generation dies out. So Moses is there the whole time. God does all these incredible things. Let me just say this real quick. All of you, all of us, 
have experienced transition, right? You're moving from A to B. Maybe you're, maybe you're like X to Y. I don't know where you're at in your story. But all of us have this story. But let me tell you what. If you look back at the children of Israel, you will see that there are more miracles when they were in the wilderness, in the quote-unquote desert, than we really see any other time in the nation of Israel. Let me tell you, beloved, just because you're in transition doesn't mean that God won't move. In fact, I would say this. Open your eyes. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. I know you can't wait to get there. But God wants to move in your life right now. So start looking for the blessing. Start looking for reasons to be grateful. You might see the process speed up. You might not, but at least your perspective will be better. At least you'll be healthy in the wilderness. Because it's one thing to be in the wilderness. It's another thing to be unhealthy in the wilderness. And the children of Israel, listen, it it took them about five weeks to get out of Egypt, but it took about 40 years to get Egypt out of them. So don't, don't let it take 40 years to get your Egypt out of you. Why don't, why don't you just move the process a little long, move along a little quicker and get your heart set on the right things? So here they are. They, they, they spend their 40 years, right, their sentence or whatever. They're about to cross the promised land. Moses has died, and Joshua is the man in charge. And he starts leading the children of Israel. And it says this, that it was harvest season. In Joshua chapter 3, verse 15, it was harvest season, so the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as, but as the feet of the priest who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water at that point began to back up a great distance away. Now, a great distance away is 30 miles. It's about 30 miles from where they're at to this city called Adam, this little town called Adam. So here they are. They got the ark of the covenant. They have these poles that go through these rings on it. They're carrying, because if they touch it, they'll die. And so they're carrying the ark. And as soon as the priest feet hit the water as they're carrying the presence of God. As soon as that happens, the water backs up 30 miles away. It's a miracle. We could preach a whole message right there. We could be done. We go home. It's a great message there. But I want to focus on what happens after that. Because while they were moving into something next, it's interesting to see what happens in the process of moving. Joshua chapter 4, verse 1 When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, now choose 12 men. Everybody say 12. One from each tribe. Tell them, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out in a pile and pile them up on the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He said to them, he told them, Go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each one of you must pick up a stone, carry it out on your shoulders, big stones, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use, verse six six says this, we will use these stones to build a memorial. For who? For them? In the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? So when your kids who aren't here today and they're going to grow up, and they're going to say, what, what is that pile of rocks over there? You can tell them. They will remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing on the ark of the Lord's covenant went across. He said, build a monument so your kids, not only you won't forget, but your kids won't forget. So the men did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one from each tribe, just as the Lord told Joshua. They carried them into the place where they camped that night and constructed the memorial there. there. Verse 9, Joshua set up another pile. So he didn't just build one monument. He set up a second one. So Joshua set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. And they are there to this day. 
The priests who were carrying the ark stood in the middle of the river until all of the Lord's commands that Moses had given Joshua were carried out. Meanwhile, the people hurried across the riverbed. So here we have this story of transition, but in the middle of the transition, we see them build monuments. Why? So they would never forget all that God had just done for the last 40 years. Because the things that they were establishing right now in this moment, we're going to catapult them into their future. Now, the first thing that we have to look at, the, the children of Israel had a permanent monument that they carried around called the Ark of the Covenant. Sometimes we call the Ark of the Covenant the Ark of the Testimony. What is a testimony? A testimony is speaking of something that has happened. So the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God, is really a mobile monument. It's a place where God sits, but it's a mobile monument. It's something that you could always look at and go, God moved there. God did that. God did this. So check it out. So the, the, it, it serves as covenant reminders. What is the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant is basically a wooden box covered in gold. And it has some things inside of it and on top of it. And it, and it is a constant reminder, covenant reminders. Everybody say covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is, is the symbol of the Old Covenant. Are you guys tracking with me? Listen, the Ark of the Covenant is a symbol of the Old Covenant or, or a monument of the Old Covenant, and it serves as covenant reminders. And so we can look at that, and we can learn some things about God and be grateful to God about some certain things. It's a constant reminder that God's a promise keeper. Okay, listen. First of all, it represents God's presence. That's the first thing. So on top of this box, there were two angel statues. They were pointing at one another. They were totally gold. And where their, where their wings almost touched was called the mercy seat. Everybody say the mercy seat. And the reason why it's called the mercy seat is because that's where mercy sat. Oh, because the presence of God, when that was in the temple, the presence of God would come in like a pillar cloud and would come in and would sit in between those wings. And the presence of God would sit in between those wings. Isn't that crazy? So we know, we we remember the presence. The second thing that, 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 that this reminds us about is God's precepts. By God's precepts, we're talking about God's standard. We're talking about God's law. We're talking about God's expectations because inside this box, how many know that there is grace, but God also has expectations? In fact, grace is for you to fulfill God's expectations. It's not for God to just wink an eye when you don't fulfill them. It's to empower you to fulfill them. So inside this covenant box, God has the Ten Commandments so that we won't forget God's precepts. So we remember God's presence. We remember God's precepts. Then we remember God's provision. Inside that box also was a jar filled with manna, a golden jar filled with manna. You say, what is manna? That's it. Manna means what is it? So manna was the bread, the 40 years. Listen, one of the, I think it speaks of all the miracles. I think that the manna is symbolic of the 40 years that happened in the wilderness because in the wilderness, this is what happened. These are some of the miracles. Every morning they woke up, there was fresh bread outside. Heaven cooked bread sitting outside their door. Scripture says it was is sweet like honey. It's kind of like a donut, like donut flakes, donut holes all over the all over the all over the grass. So you walk out and there they were. Then they got tired and they started complaining. So God started giving them some quail. Also, did you know that they had that every day for forty years? But after they moved into promise, they didn't have that anymore. They moved out from the land that falls and moved into the land that flows, right? And so they move out, and then that stops happening. However, there were other things that happened during this manna season. Manna is what we call the daily bread. Right? And so, not only the manna, but also, did you know that their water source, 
God provided their water source. God told Moses, he said, strike that rock with the staff, strike it, and the water's going to come out. And they live from the water that came from a rock. Miraculous. Did you know their clothes for 40 years didn't wear out? I mean, those are some good threads. For 40 years, their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes, when they were walking around the desert for 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. Did you know at night, God would show up every single night in the cold desert, God would show up as a pillar of fire every single night so they could see in the dark. God, God was protecting them. God was providing for them. Come on, right here in the desert. During the day when it got hot, God would show up as a pillar of cloud, a cloud pillar, basically that, that, would, that would protect them from the desert heat and to guide them and to lead them around the desert. So these are covenant reminders of God's presence, God's precepts, God's promises, God's provisions, sorry, God's power. God's power. The other thing that was inside that Ark of the Covenant was a, was a rod, a shepherd's rod that belonged to Aaron, the high priest. You say, well, how does that represent God's power? Well, let me show you. First of all, you guys remember, if you remember the story about the plagues in Egypt, you'll remember that Pharaoh asked for a sign. And so Moses is like, okay, Aaron, throw down your rod. So, he, so Aaron's rod gets thrown down to the ground, and it becomes a snake. Rod, they call that a rod snake. And so there was a snake on the ground. Gosh, I'm so bad. Then, thanks, thanks. So this, the snake on the ground, we won't call it the word anymore. And then, and then so Pharaoh says, oh, my magicians can do that. So he tells them to throw down rods, and they all become snakes. Well, then that rod, God's rod, come on, Aaron's rod, eats all the snakes. So this rod is a symbol of authority. It's a symbol of power. So all the, all the, you remember how we were talking about there was 12 tribes? So you had these 12 tribes. All of them were petitioning to be the priest, right? However, there was a tribe called Levites, right, which Aaron was a part of. And so Aaron, they all had their staffs. God told Aaron, he said, write your name on your staff. And, the, and then God said, I'm going to select them. Everybody laid down their rods in front of the ark. And the next morning they went in there, and all these rods are laying there, but one of them had a branch coming off of it with leaves on it. It had sprouted, miraculous, powerful, and it had almonds on it. Awesome. And, what, and so all the, all the guys were like, no, that was my rod. That was my rod. And then we were reminded that Aaron had wrote his name on that. And he said, no, it's mine. See, it's got my name on it. So that rod represents God's power. So we see the Ark of the Covenant reminds us of God's presence, his precepts, his provision, and his power. But that wasn't all that they had. They also built these monuments. What are the monuments there for? The monuments are there to remind us of God's promise for promotion. Promotion. That God is taking you, not from just where you've been. He's taking you to the next place. You're crossing Jordan, set up a monument to always remember that you're not going to be here forever. That I'm always going to take you to the next place. Always be ready for the next thing. Remember the things of old. Awesome. But I am also the God of the promotion. I am the God of the past, but I am also God of the promotion. So when you feel like you don't have anywhere to go, and you know what you're going to do, you're gonna, you, your kids can just go, Daddy, what is that? Say, that's when God promoted us. That's when God fulfilled his promises. He's the God of the greater thing. He's the God of the greater thing. Listen, your life mundane, is it hard? Is it difficult? He's the God of the greater thing. 
I'm not telling you how long this season's going to last, but I'm telling you, it will pass. And God will be just as good tomorrow as he was yesterday. He will always be good. He can't stop being good. It's, it's who he is. The problem with the children of Israel is they were just like us. They forget easily. Now, I am really bad. I have a really terrible memory. I think it's because of all the extracurricular activities I participated in in junior high and high school. But we won't talk about that. So the children of Israel, man, they easily forgot. And they were back and forth. So not, they, they weren't looking at monuments. They were worshiping idols. And this is what it says in Isaiah chapter 46 when they're doing that. God says, remember this. Fix it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Whoa. Easy, Lord. <laughs> right? Whoa. Relax. Take it easy, man. Okay? Remember this. Fix it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things. Remember what I did before, the things of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me. Don't forget. Don't forget what I've done in your life. Don't forget what I've done for your people. Don't forget. So how do we develop these healthy markers in our life? How do we do that? Because some of you need healthy markers. Listen, my dad, my dad always taught me, he said, listen, son, the, the difference between bitter and better is I. So your experiences and your memories can make you better or they can make you bitter. But you get to decide. God already decided. He wants it better. But you get to decide. Is it going to be better? Are you going to agree with God? Or are you just going to agree with you and the, the, the uncertainty of your situation and become bitter? Beloved, don't just get bitterness from your experiences. I'm not negating them. I'm not saying that they were small. I know, I know that many of you have faced way harder things than I have. We're not trying to compare, but what we're trying to say this is God is always worthy of praise. And God is always good and he wants to get glory out of everything. So how do we develop healthy markers? Number one, we burn the bridges of regret. We burn the bridges of regret. Listen, we've all done things that we are embarrassed about, that we shouldn't done. We've all done things in the past, but beloved, listen to me. Listen. They are just that. They are in the past. And there's nothing you can do about it now. So quit dwelling on your problems and your mistakes and start focusing on the promises of God. Start focusing on the goodness of God. Start focusing on what you have to be grateful for. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Listen, God didn't just save you from your sins so you could be okay. He also came to remove the regret and the shame that would weigh you down. The enemy, the enemy is a master at shame. He loves to remind us of our past. He loves, he loves to remind us of our shortfallings. Listen, regret will hold you in bondage to the past. Don't live there. You are not in Egypt anymore. And it's one of the most powerful tactics the enemy uses. You know, the problem with young men is they have no appreciation for the past. A problem with older men is that they can't get over the past. 
I remember when I, I don't care about your stories. It's because I didn't have any. I didn't have any story. I didn't really have any history with God, so I didn't really care to hear about anybody else's. But sometimes, as I'm older, sometimes it's easier for me to forget what God's done. Do not let your past haunt your present. Do not allow your past to hinder you. I love that song that we sang this morning. You walked through all of my walls and conquered my shame. Come on. He's just stepping in with grace. He's coming in, tearing down the walls. Listen, he is destroying the monuments of regret and shame and replacing them with hope and victory. God wants you to be victorious. And let me say this about regret. You know, regret, sometimes people use it as a crutch. They won't advance. They'll go, because this happened in my life. Listen, what Jesus did is way greater than any mistake that you could have ever made. His restoration power, his life-giving spirit is so much stronger than anything you could ever do. You are not that powerful to screw up your life that God can't fix. You're not that powerful. You are not that powerful to make that big of a mistake that God can't redeem. Whew. And let me just say this. I, I want to I hit just a minute on idolatry because sometimes we idolize our past. We used, to, we used to do a thing when I first got saved. We used to, like, do this thing we called top that testimony. And it, we weren't trying to be cute, but you would do it. Oh, well, yeah, when I was a sinner, I was way worse than you. Have you ever done that? Oh, but you should have known all the stuff that I would. Re- you think you were bad? I was really bad. I was, I was pretty bad. But it's stupid how sometimes we idolize our past. Listen, if, if the past doesn't inspire you to move, move forward, it's not a monument. It's an idol. So if you can't move forward because of the past, then you've created an idol, not a monument. Monuments become idols when they hinder progress. And the little God that you're worshiping in that state of mind has nothing for you. That little God that you're worshiping through idol, through idolatry, through regret, through shame that you're serving every day. Listen, your past was meant to serve you. Not you serve your past. You don't serve your past. You're not enslaved to your past. That serves you. You're stepping on its shoulders. Can you look back and say God was good? Absolutely. I see where you brought me, God. I'm so grateful. Get it behind you. Burn the bridge of regret. You don't have anything. Listen, beloved child of God, you give your life to Jesus. You don't ever have to regret another thing in your life. Because you can look back and you can say, man, I did all this stupid stuff. But you know what? God redeemed it. It can become part of your testimony. It can become part of your story. But don't you ever glory. Don't you ever give the, the sin in your life glory. Don't you ever give the enemy glory by, by, by allowing your past to dictate your future. So, number one, burn the bridge of regret. Number two, don't live in the good old days. So one of the problems that I ran into, we were experiencing renewal, man, when I got saved. That, some of y'all, that means revival. We, man, God was moving in our church when I, when I came to Jesus. I mean, people were getting saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, people were getting healed. It was awesome. God was doing stuff. It was great. But what I would hear a lot of times, especially from the older generation, was something like this. Oh, 30 years ago, when the church is over on such and such street, when we started the church, God was moving, we were meeting in temple. I was like, awesome. Now, as a young man, I didn't have the wisdom to go, please tell me more about it. I despised it, which was wrong. 
because they were rejoicing in something that happened. The problem was is they weren't just rejoicing in it. They were kind of worshiping it because they were like, nothing can compare to that. And listen, God always has a greater thing. He always has a next thing. We're not worshiping the old thing. We're worshiping, the, we're worshiping him. He's eternal, right? We're not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not longing for the past. We're longing for what God's doing now and in the future. It's one of the hangups that the children of Israel had, right? Remember? Oh, we had it better off in Egypt. You did not. Listen, your past wasn't that good. Y'all remember Uncle Rico? Y'all remember that? I could throw a football over the mountains over there, right? Y'all, you smell, and, um, you weren't that good. Your past wasn't that great. Don't, don't, don't relish it so much. Think, remember the problems you had back? Oh, gosh, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. But there was, mm-hmm. Ecclesiastes 7.10 says, Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it's not wise to ask such questions. Listen, it's going to get better. The best is yet to come. Number three, develop your story. Number one, burn the bridges of regret. Number two, don't live in the good old days. Number three, develop your story. Develop a history with God. What does your history with God look like? Have you ever thought about that? What's your story? What's your story with God? I'm not talking about your parents' story. I've talked to a lot of people, and this is their story. Man, tell me about, tell me about your walk with the Lord. Well, I started going to church when I was a little boy. My parents raised me in church. I've been in church all my life. Awesome. So tell me about your story in God. Or it's like this. Hey, so tell me about, like, what's going on in your life? What was God doing in your life? Well, I started going to church. It's always I started going to church. Dude, it's not about, like, start going to church. I mean, Christians go to church, but, you know, that, I mean, that's, we're not going to get into all that right now. But listen, church is great. You need to be in church. If you're a follower of Christ, you need community. You need corporate worship. You need all that. Absolutely. But what is your story in God? What is your it's a personal relationship. Everybody says that, but they can't tell you what that looks like. They just like this bumper sticker or shirt or something. Isn't that true? I'm like, so, so tell me. Tell me about your relationship with God. Well, I started going to church when I was a little kid. Great. Then what? Just stayed in church? Awesome. So what has God done in your life? Kept you from a life of sin? Awesome. Love that. But when did Jesus change your life? So how do you develop your story? Well, number one, you start today. Some of you, it might be you turn the page today because you've already started. You've already started your history, God, but now it's time for chapter two. Now it's time for the next book. Listen, start today. Number two, don't bail in the process. Don't bail in the process. It will get hard. It's going to get hard. It is going to get hard. I'm prophetically speaking right now to you. It will get hard. In fact, the hardest experience that you've ever will face has probably not happened yet. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to be realistic to prepare you to learn to be grateful now in this easy season because it probably is going to be easier than a season you will have later. But don't bail in the process. Don't walk out of your own movie. This is the movie of your life. Don't walk out. Have you ever walked out of a movie? I've walked out of one before. Like, whoa. 
Don't forget to look at the ratings. <laughs> Hope nobody sees me from <laughs> the churches here, <laughs> sneaking out on popcorn. And that wasn't a Christian movie. <laughs> Sorry. Focus, focus. And let me say this about the process. Don't blame God for bad things that happen to you. We do that, right? This is how people live in regret. Well, I mean, God, God did this. To me. I'm like, oh, wait a second. Does it look like Jesus? No, then God didn't do it. How, how do you know if God does something or didn't do it? Look at Jesus. Is that something, that's something Jesus would do? No, God gave them cancer. Would Jesus give somebody cancer? No, then God didn't give anybody cancer. What's wrong with you? The devil gives people cancer. Come on. A fallen world is, provides an environment for people to get cancer. God doesn't give people cancer. That's the stupidest thing. God doesn't kill people. God doesn't, God doesn't, God doesn't, God doesn't steal, kill, and destroy. Devil ministry. Life and life more abundantly. Jesus ministry. I mean, isn't that what he said? This is why I've came? Okay, all right. So don't blame God. Listen, don't blame God for all the negative things. Can God use any negative thing? Absolutely. In fact, that's the way he redeems it. So when the bad stuff comes, some of you have no history of God just because you can't win any battles. Because every time something hard comes, you quit serving God. And so you don't have a history of God. What are you going to tell your kids when you grow up enough in 30 years or five years or six months or tomorrow? What are you going to tell your kids? Beloved, it is bigger than your life. So don't blame God and don't, listen, don't blame God for the problems you have and don't blame God for, for the things that other people have done to you or the devil has done to you. Don't blame God for that. No, stop it. All right. Start today. Don't bail on the process. Number three, win some battles. And we are just talking about that. Listen, victory is yours, but you must steward it. You have the victory, but you must steward victory. We are stewards of victory. Listen, the investment and the struggle that you have now will be your inspiration in the future. Your investment in the struggle now, what are you doing? I'm just being faithful. I'm sowing seeds of faithfulness. It's hard. It's difficult. I'm lonely. I'm discouraged. But I'm being faithful. What are you doing? What are you doing? You're sowing seeds. Seeds of faithfulness. You're just saying, I'm just giving myself to I know, man, it's hard. It's difficult. <laughs> You're just doing the right thing. Listen, you will reap, beloved. You will reap a harvest. But let me just say this. Seeds, listen, seasons, seasons, seasons. You don't, you don't sow and reap in the same season. I know that's hard. But you got to sow a seed today of faithfulness to see fruitfulness in the springtime. Come on. You've got to invest. So the investment of your faithfulness now will be your inspiration in the future because you'll be able to look back and you go, like my dad told me when I was going through that hard season, whenever after, after Mariah was born and we're driving in the car, and my dad looks at me and he goes, son, it's because you've been faithful to God. My life was a monument of God's faithfulness. I'm not bragging on myself, man. I was faithful to God sometimes just simply out of desperation. Number four, celebrate little things. This is how you develop your story. You celebrate little things. I got a five-cent raise. Praise the Lord. I got a job at McDonald's. Praise the Lord. By the way, when people complain about their job, I'm not getting paid enough, I'm like, didn't you agree to, like, take that much money? I mean, did they, like, somebody force you to take that job making $4 an hour? No. I don't like my job. Well, you, didn't you agree to that job? 
then be faithful there. Or find another job and be faithful to it. But you probably won't. Just be faithful there. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. Not sorry for saying that. Listen, sow those seeds. I love you. I, lo- I really do. Y'all, I hope y'all know my heart. Listen, so just celebrate little things. Number five, capture moments. Listen, moments and memorials carry a- an authority about them. There is an authority because I can look back and I can go, God can do anything. When I look back at those things, remember it was 12. The number 12 is the number of government. It's the number of authority. So that's why there were 12 stones there. To remember, there is authority in these monuments that are established. You look okay? How do you capture moments? You write things down. Listen, don't just write everything down digitally because that will get lost. Find, get, you, get you a paper bobble. I'm not being religious about it, but, but find something where you can record your journey. You know what? I had these bobbles. These bobbles, man, that, that I cut my teeth on, and I keep them around. I, I look at them. But you know what? One day, one day Josh Brown's going to be gone. And you know, my kids are going to begin to have these bottles. They're going to get to live off my history with God. What kind of, do you have history in God enough that your kids can feast from, that your spiritual sons and daughters can feast from? Those people that you lead to Jesus that you're going to in this next year, because some of you are going to do that. I would that you all would lead somebody to Jesus. How many people have you led to Jesus that you can give a Bible to, that you've marked up, notes that you've written all over, you know, your Bible. I'm not talking about hoarding things. Come on. Because listen, if you've got so much junk because you have to have that to remember, then we've got a deeper issue here. We're talking about things that can be seated in the next generation. I know I need to hurry. Listen, a, uh, I want to share one more story, and then i got one more point. About a year and a half ago, I was doing some Uber driving. Come on, Uber drivers. And uh, I, got a, I got a pickup from the airport, and I took them to Mesquite. Now, my first youth pastoring job was at a little church in Mesquite, a little family church, a lot smaller than Overflow. And uh, the pastor's name is Tim Krifko. And Tim went to be with the Lord. And uh, I'm so grateful for Tim because Tim, Tim let me, he let me, going to the church. He let me minister to the young people. He let, he let me preach the gospel there. I mean, he, he paid me a little bit to do it. Well, a little bit, but I agreed to it. He gave me, I, I remember when he pulled up, he picked me up at, at Christ, when my car was broke down. He picked me up at Christ for the Nations. He had, a, he had a, a little box of business cards. That was a big deal back then, and they had my name on it. Josh Brown, youth pastor. And I was like, man, I was like, I was giving those cards to everybody, right? I was like, what's up? That 21-year-old swagger. So I drop this person off in Mesquite, and, I look, and I'm looking for the church. I can't find it because it doesn't exist anymore. But I, but I, I kind of remembered the place because it had a donut shop next to it. It was in a strip center, and I found it. And I pull, pull my car in, and I just park in one of the parking spots. And I just begin to weep. Just thank you, God. Thank you that, that I had this place that I... That you allowed me to minister. Thank you, Lord, for Tim Krifko. I pray, God, that you bless his family. I know that his kids, they miss their daddy. Lord, I'm so grateful. 
that I have this connection with the body of Christ. What am I doing? I'm posturing my heart for gratitude. I'm not worshiping those things. I just have markers in my life that I can look back. Listen, it is all part of my story. In fact, some of the things that's so important for you to develop your story, some of the most, some of you are so been moved today. You haven't been moved so much, and I'm not saying this in a degrading way. Some of you haven't been moved so much by the stories of the scripture, but the stories of my life. But you know why? Because I've taken the time to develop those stories. I've taken those time to live through those stories and put in enough years that I have a story. Beloved, develop your story. Because it says this, and if we'll do the next point, number five, is if we will develop our story, then we can share our story. And it says this in Revelation, that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. What is your testimony? Your testimony is your story. So you gotta have these experiences. You gotta have these monuments in your life. Maybe it's just a moment or a memory, but you've gotta have these things in your life to be able to look back and say, look, Look at what God did. And it won't just be for you, it'll be for your children. And I don't know who that's for today, but I feel like God is really emphasizing that. This is not just for you, it's for your children. It's not just for you, it's for the whole body of Christ. They overcame by the blood of the night. He overcame. No, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. And the more you tell what God has done, the more you tell what God has done, the less likely you will be to forget it. So part of the reason why I love to share stories, and we've done this so much, babe, we've had people over at our house, we, we like to sit down and tell them about how God started the church, and we like to tell them how God did this, and that, that. is it because we like to talk so much, maybe a little bit, but really, the main reason why we do it is because we don't ever want to forget how faithful God's been. We've seen God move in so many ways. Is it because we're so awesome? No, heck no. It's just because God was doing something, we said, okay, I'm along, take me along for the ride. I always, I always say that. When we planted the church, we did not say yes to it, we said okay. But I'm so glad we did. I'm so glad we did. So when we share our story, it honors the past, but it also gives courage for the present. You need presence in the present. Share your story. And it inspires hope for the future. Develop your story. Be, listen, be a monument. Don't just have a monument, be one.